2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. We'll be there here in just a moment. Have you ever been so focused on something that you completely lost sight of anything going on around you? So so we think of our, our kids when they're playing a video game. And you try to talk to them, it's like they won't even look up. But we can't be too hard on them because we do the same thing when we're watching a ball game. Or when we're looking at Facebook on our phone and they're trying to get our attention. We can get tunnel vision. I can remember the first time that, that I watched one of Kelby's games once he made it to the big leagues. It was shocking to me to watch him from the stands um, get into the batter's box while being surrounded by literally 30,000 plus fans carrying on, doing the wave, screaming, a lot of other things they do at baseball games, uh, cameras looking right at them from every part of the ballpark, fat guys walking up and down the stands screaming, peanuts here, get your peanuts here. And yet to watch him in the batter's box still not be distracted. So I asked him after watching that game, it was one thing in the minor leagues, because I mean there's, there's a lot of people there, but not like there is for the big league games, and, and I asked him, how's that possible? And he said, you, you just get locked in. Once you stepped into the batter's box, it's just you and the pitcher, and you can hardly think or hear anything else uh, going on except for what's happening right there in front of you. He said, that's the only possible chance I have at hitting a 95-mile-an-hour fastball is if I'm locked in. And I understand that that kind of tunnel vision is necessary for a baseball player to hit a fastball at 95 miles an hour. But I think if we're not careful, Fellowship Baptist Church, our church, would have a tendency to step into our batter's box right here at 310 West Pancake every Sunday and get so laser focused on ourselves so tunnel visioned on our church and ministry alone that we lose sight of the fact that there are thousands of people around us in need of the gospel. And we can lose sight of the fact that we aren't the only ones attempting to reach them. The church of Thessalonica would have been no different. They would have had a tendency to focus only on themselves. Because as we've studied through the first and the second epistle so far, they were going through severe persecution and suffering and tribulation. And they would have a propensity like we would to be so focused on what's happening inside the walls of their own church that they failed to think about or, or, or remember and certainly pray for the gospel work going on outside of their church. So Paul writes three simple verses to them. In chapter 3, to remind them that there is more to the gospel work than just the first Baptist church of Thessalonica. And may I remind you tonight, there is more to the gospel work in 2020 than what happens at Fellowship Baptist Church. There are hundreds and thousands of pastors and church planners and missionaries and gospel-preaching churches like in Shawnee, Kansas, all around our world that are attempting to do on this very day the same thing we're doing. 
And we can't get so tunnel visioned on this place and on this ministry that we fail to remember or to think about or to give towards or certainly pray for the work of the gospel in all these other places. I think Paul knew that one of the best ways to keep this church from growing inwardly focused on themselves was to teach them how to pray for the success of other gospel ministries in other places. And that's the essence of the text before us tonight. Because while we have our own prayer request right here, in fact, in Synergy class this morning, we probably had 12 or 13 prayer requests just from our class alone. We have our own struggles. We have our own ministry goals right here to fulfill in liberal Kansas. While all of that is going on, we also have brothers and sisters in Christ that are doing the same thing all around the world, and they need our prayers. So I want to teach you what Paul taught this church. Number one, how to pray for the success of the gospel, gospel message around the world. And number two, how to pray for the safety of the gospel messengers around the world. And if we'll get a hold of this practice corporately as a church, it'll keep us from getting tunnel visioned on just 310 West Pancake, which ultimately is selfishness. So number one, Paul teaches us, pray for the success of the gospel message. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, th th this is indicating that he's transitioning to the closing of his letter. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Who's us? That's, that's Paul and his missionary team, Silas and Timothy. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. What does it look like for the gospel message to have success around the world through the work and ministries of gospel preaching churches and missionaries? What does that look like? Paul says, first of all, it looks like the gospel having free course. So if we were to pray for the success of the gospel message around the world, we are to first pray that the gospel message have free course. What does that mean? What does free course mean? It's the picture of a runner running through a course swiftly and unhindered, much like what I look like in the gym. Very fluid. Very smooth. We would think of like running a long distance run without being hindered by the heat or by dehydration or, or, or muscle cramps. Paul's teaching us that we as a church need to pray not only for our ministry, but also for the missionaries around the world that as they preach and share the gospel, it will be unhindered and it will move swiftly through each country and each community and each village and each home. And we know Satan is doing everything he can to hinder it. I begin to think about that. If Paul says that it, we need to pray for it to have free course, it's because Satan is working to hinder it. And how is he working to hinder it, both here and, and around our country and around our world? It's different wherever you live. Satan is subtle. Satan is smart. He's strategic. I, I, I analyzed the, the, the liberal Kansas community and, and really the greater Midwest region at large. And, and I think that the gospel is hindered by what I would call religiosity. People think they're already saved. It's hard that for the gospel to have free course as a preacher's preaching because, hey, I go to church on Sunday morning, I'm good with God. My grandma was saved, I'm good. I was baptized as a baby. I fulfilled the sacraments. I'm a good citizen. 
I think that is what is plaguing the gospel from having free course in the Midwest. Places like Scottsdale, Arizona, and Oro Valley, Arizona, where, where we have planted two churches. I think the gospel is often hindered by affluence. People have everything they need. You been to Scottsdale? Been to Oro Valley? It's amazing. They don't just have everything they need. Most of those people have everything they want. And the riches of this world are keeping them from realizing that they need a savior. In other areas of the world, the gospel is hindered by oppression and persecution from government or even one's own family if they convert to Christianity. And yet in some places, the gospel is being hindered simply, you know why? Because nobody's going to those places with the gospel. It can't have free course if nobody's taken it there in the first place. That's why the God tells us we ought to pray for laborers in the harvest. And by the way, young people, God's still calling. He's still calling. It seems like there's kind of a famine in the land of, of people that are surrendering to ministry. And we like to think, well, 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 God is somehow taking a break. He's not taking a break. The need is getting greater. That means God is calling more laborers to the harvest. Here's the problem. Less laborers are yielding to his call. We need more young people willing to surrender their life to God and let him take them where he wants. That's the first way you should pray for the success of the gospel, that it have free course and just be unhindered. But then Paul adds something else. Pray that the gospel message be glorified. That's what he said in verse 1. Be glorified. What does that mean? Be respected. Honored, be appreciated. Really what he meant is that as, as it's preached and given and shared, that it be received well. Well, how's that possible? He says so in the last phrase of the verse. Look, that it may be glorified. Look at the last phrase of verse 1. Even as it is with you. He's saying, in other words, Thessalonians, as you received the gospel, when I came and preached for those three plus weeks in your synagogue, when... As you received the gospel and it was glorified and received well in your heart, pray that others around the world would receive it the same exact way you did. Now, now turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 real quick. And look at verse number 6. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, watch, having received the word in much affliction... With joy of the Holy Ghost. So when Paul preached to them the message of the gospel, they received it with joy. Even though it brought affliction and tribulation and trial and persecution, they still let the word of God be glorified. And Paul says, let, pray that the same thing would happen as we go to the next city, as we go to the next town, as we go to the next region. Now listen, church, this is an incredibly serious part of our prayer for the gospel. You know why? Because we have no idea how many times God is going to allow the gospel to be preached to certain people before they will not have another chance. See, we take for granted because we got to hear the gospel several times before we accepted it as the truth that everyone else will have the same opportunity. But that's not the case. Some people will only be able to ignore so long before they're not given another opportunity. I think of, of our missionaries to Nepal, the Travis family. Joel Travis was here 
uh, a couple of years ago, and, and he told us how that he walks up and down mountains by foot for hours and, and even days at a time to make it to these obscure villages. And, and he goes down to these obscure villages that are sometimes dangerous. And he says that oftentimes when he goes to these villages and he preaches the gospel, it is literally, it's hard to believe, but literally the first time these people have ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Maybe the first time they ever understood who Jesus was. And he told us, that, I, I, I think it was right before the missions conference when he was here a couple of years ago, he says, I've got to go with this mindset that I'll never be able to go back to that village again. Because he says there are so many villages to go to, often I don't get opportunities to keep going back and going back and going back. Which is why he said we need more missionaries. That's why we ought to pray that when people like Joel Travis travels for miles at a time and hikes up and down mountains to go to these obscure villages, that the word of God be glorified because those people might never have another chance. We support missionaries and even... even uh, um, Domestic uh, mission projects where, where there, there are, are organizations where people go into prisons. And they give the gospel to these inmates. And you understand that a lot of prisoners don't have soft hearts. But there is a time, maybe a small window of time, in which they, they might have a soft heart. And they might not be calloused over. And they might not be bitter and depressed and hard towards the gospel. And it just might happen to be on the Saturday or the Thursday night that somebody called to a prison ministry goes in and gives the gospel. He might just have that small window of opportunity to accept Christ before he hardens his heart. There are moments when pastors, I've, I've, I've had to do this myself, will walk into the hospital room of somebody who has just hours to live. And the family has asked us to come in and say, they, they, they can't speak, and, and I don't know if they can hear. They seem to be able to hear, but, but, but they're about to die, and I know they're not saved. Can you come and at least talk to them about Jesus and see if they'll accept that by faith? And, and I've sat beside the bed, and my dad has sat beside the bed of people that are dying, and, and it's almost like we feel helpless. We know that in hours they will slip off into eternity, into even he either heaven or hell, and they've got that one chance. One chance. And you better believe before I turn out of that hallway into that room that I am begging God that his word be glorified. It be received well. It be accepted, not ignored, not rejected. I think of our, our Christian school ministry. We have just a few years to impact hearts. Our teachers have just a small period of time. We think it's a long time. But us adults can look back at our elementary, junior high, and high school years and say, man, that flew by. And our, teenage, our, our teachers who treat this like a ministry look at it, and Brother K and Ms. K for years have known, I've got this small window of opportunity. That's why every morning before school starts, Brother K opens the Word and gives a devotion. That's why we take them to school activities that, that preach. That's why we have a chapel service every single Wednesday. Because we understand that we want to give them as many opportunities as we can to receive the word well. And that ought to be our prayer. That when the gospel is preached in this place and outside of this place, that it be glorified in people's hearts, not rejected, not ignored. How do we pray for the success of the gospel? We pray for it at free course. 
and for it to be glorified. Paul goes on in verse 2 and says, pray for one more thing. Not just the success of the gospel, but the safety of the gospel messenger. Look at verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Church, listen, if we're not careful, we will settle into our safe spiritual bubble. Out here in the middle of nowhere, in our place of comfortable and safe worship, and we will totally forget that those around the world, some who tried to do the same thing we did today, got punished for it. And if they didn't, it's because God spared them another week. If you're like me, it's not that you're ungrateful for our religious liberty. You are thankful. It's just that you're too used to it. I'm too used to it. That's why Paul reminded us in verse 3, all men have not faith. You may be in the Bible Belt. You may be in the good United States of America. But don't forget there are brothers and sisters in China and they're surrounded by unreasonable and wicked men who have not faith. There are brothers and sisters who converted out of Islam into Christianity in the Middle East and their own family members are hunting them down ready to behead them. In 2020, the worst you get from your family members is, well, they just stopped returning your text messages. And Paul says, all men have not faith. Pray for us. Do you remember our, our missionary, one of our missionaries to China came and, and he told us a story about how that they were preaching and holding a service, which you know is illegal there. And, and, and authorities caught wind of it, and they weren't prepared for the authorities. And authorities came in, shut down their service, and arrested the one preaching. And now he says when they go back, and, and he's back now, Brother Tolson, he says that, that, that now they have a procedure in place where they have men on the outside, and they have men with radios on the inside. And their church has actually practiced this procedure where if they get wind from that the authorities are coming, they can literally radio the guys inside, and in, in no more than two minutes, they can make what looked like a sanctuary not look like a sanctuary anymore. They can disperse and scatter to where it will not appear as though they were having church. Imagine us having to do that in liberal Kansas. Imagine us having to hide the songbook not be able to have a pulpit because we couldn't get it out of the way quick enough. I'd have to tell this section, you got to go over there. And this section, you imagine this. And Paul said, hey, Fellowship Baptist Church, not all men have faith. Pray for your brothers and sisters who are surrounded by persecution. And to give them confidence in their prayer, he says in verse 3, and we have our verse, yeah, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. What is he doing? Exactly what he did at the end of verse 1. He's saying this, as God has been faithful to keep you safe, pray that God will be faithful to keep me safe, and Silas safe, and Timothy safe. And so as we're enjoying our safety, 
And as God has been faithful to put us into a land and a country that lets us do this without fear of reprise, may we be that confident in our prayer that God can keep our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in Asia safe as well. That should be our prayer as a church family. We should pray for the success of the gospel message and the safety of the gospel messenger. Incredibly simple passage. I want to drive it home. Brother Kay, did you bring that up? Oh, I see it. Okay. By borrowing an illustration from one of our missionaries that came two years ago, and he preached right out of this text a message entitled Compound Prayer. Do you remember Brother David Hetzer? He's a missionary to Sri Lanka. And uh, uh, had, oh, how many kids did he have? Five? Four kids? Something like that? Great, great family. And he preached every night for our, uh, is this right? I don't know how to hold this thing. Is this right? Is it my hold this I see Kelby over there laughing at me. Just get over it, man. Um, anyway, Brother Hetzer, I was saying it was a good guy, Kelby. That's what I was trying to say before you distracted me. Um, preached a great message out of this text. And so some weren't here to hear how he drove this home with this illustration. Some were, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again because it was so powerful and so helpful. Thank you, Brother Travis, for the use of the bow. Starts with an arrow. Now follow this. This arrow represents the object of impact. Follow this. If I were to go to hunt, okay, I, I, and I'm hunting a deer, I'm not going to go with my bare hands. I know you think I'm King David and all, but I can't, I can't do that. I'm going to need an object to impact what I'm hunting. Okay, that's an arrow. The object of impact for the missionary, according to verse 1, is the word of God. That's why Paul says, pray that the word of the Lord would have free course and be glorified. So a missionary goes to Sri Lanka, or goes to New Zealand, or China, or locally to Arizona, and they want to see an impact made. They want to see lives changed and, and souls saved and folks baptized and churches started. But, but the missionary knows that he is not the object of impact himself. He cannot bring about life change. But he does have an arrow. He does have the written word of God. And so he preaches and he teaches and he distributes biblical material all with the hopes that it will pierce the heart and make a lasting impact. Brings up the next part of a, of a hunter's equipment. That's the bow. Because I'm not going to go out like an Indian with just an arrow, a miniature spear, get in a deer stand and go, Whew! I can't throw it hard enough to, to cause a fatal wound. And so I've got to have a bow. What, what's the bow? If this is the object of impact, the bow is the object which provides the force and the power to the object of impact. Does that make sense? I need some power. I need some force, more than I can throw an arrow. I need some power if this is to truly go through the heart of an animal. That's why I need a bow. What's the power and force for a missionary, for a church planner? It's the word of the Lord. The Lord is the power. The Holy Spirit is the force. 
The missionary, listen, it cannot go into a foreign country and through his own eloquence, his own persuasion, his own homiletical skill, have enough force to make that arrow pierce the heart of a lost sinner. I don't care how persuasive he is. I don't care how talented he is. I mean, even Paul, when he first went to Thessalonica to preach the gospel, he said this all the way back in chapter 1 of the first epistle in verse 5. He said, for our, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. The preacher has to speak, yes. He has to preach, yes. He has to hand out a tract, yes. He has to witness, yes. But ultimately, the power of the Holy Spirit has to convict. And the power of the Holy Spirit has to draw. And I've seen it happen many times. Many times. As I will in a couple weeks, I'll go preach a youth camp. And I, I, I've seen on the first night, the opening night of a youth camp, 100, 200, 300, in some cases, 400 kids. I can always spot a half a dozen or so kids that are sitting there like this. Bless me if you can. My parents made me be here. And I just preach the word. And there's no way in and of myself that I'm strong enough to take the word and aim it just perfectly and hit that kid with the kind of force and power to change his life. Not long term anyway. I can affect his emotions at best. And yet I've preached the word Monday night, Tuesday, Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday night. And by the time they load up in the bus, their whole countenance has changed. They've been to the altar a couple times, in some cases gotten saved. By the way, that's why I believe in youth camp. Because it's a process that through multiple uh, 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 sermons, it has a compound, no pun intended, compound like effect in their life see that's what missionaries are hoping for they're hoping that that with with the bow of God's power that it will get the force behind the word of God strong enough to make a lasting difference but there's one more element to this it's not just the arrow it's not just the bow you got to have someone to shoot it the human so I'm talking about the person who relies on the bow and the arrow watch through his exertion of energy into it. So the hunter goes into the field with his bow and his arrow. He knows exactly what he wants to kill. He gets up into the deer stand. He's ready to kill it. What does he have to do? He has to pull back on the boat. He has to exert the right amount of energy by drawing back in order for the force to be able to shoot that arrow and pierce the heart of that animal. This bow... This, this arrow is incapable of working on its own. There's got to be a human element to it. It's got to be activated by someone else. And this is where prayer comes in. Are you still with me? Prayer is the human exertion of energy that causes the power of God's spirit to take the arrow of God's word and pierce it into the heart of lost people. So the missionary who's called to a specific country, will go into that place. And before he ever preaches, and before he ever evangelizes, he will pray earnestly and energetically and fervently for the power of God to be upon his word. Now here's, here's the thing with drawing back a bow. Don't miss this. Brother David made this point, and it's brilliant. 
there is a direct correlation with the amount of draw weight and the amount of force that is placed on the arrow. Now, if you're not a hunter like me, draw weight has something to do with how hard it is to pull back the bow, if I understand it right. And, and the bigger the game that you're hunting for, the heavier the draw weight needs to be. Because the bigger game, the more force the arrow has to have to penetrate the animal. Here's what the Apostle Paul knew. There is a direct correlation between the amount of energy put into prayer and the amount of power that God puts on his word. The more energy given to prayer, the greater amount of force the arrow of God's word will have around the world. Here's what's interesting when it comes to draw weight. It's different for everyone. I would try to shoot my brother's bow and I couldn't pull the thing back. I would have to have a different draw weight. And the Apostle Paul knew this. There's only so much energy that one man alone can exert into prayer. There's only so much draw weight that one missionary can have through his own prayer life. This is where the church at large comes in. Local churches all around the world compounding their prayer together, all pulling back with their individual draw weights, can exert their combined energies into prayer on the missionary's behalf. It's called compound prayer. Imagine hundreds, hundreds of lay people like you. You're not called to a mission field. You're not called to go to Sri Lanka. You're not called to go to China. You're not called to plant a church in Arizona. You're called to be a lay person and to be a thriving member of Fellowship Baptist Church and help us reach the community of liberal Kansas and Seward County. But imagine if hundreds of people like you in churches all around the nation and all around the world would, would exert their maximum energy, their draw weight in prayer for their missionaries. Imagine the kind of force that God would put behind his word. But yet missionaries come in, present their burden, and we fall asleep. We don't pray for them one time. I think more than even giving financially to them, we need to pray for them. Sometimes we get so focused on we're just going to give them a love offering. We're just going to get them enough money to get them down the road. We're going to go ahead and support them on a monthly basis. And they have to have money to go. We understand that. But money cannot accomplish what prayer can. So maybe next time a missionary comes, yes, we should give to the missionary's wife. And yes, if God leads and we're capable, we should take them on for support. But maybe we shouldn't even close the service or let them walk off this property until we lay hands upon them and pray over them that God would help their gospel message to be successful and he would keep them safe in the process. It wouldn't be awkward. Would to God it wouldn't be foreign for men to get out of their seat and come surround a missionary. And women to get out of their seat and come surround a missionary's wife. And teenagers to get out of their seat and come surround a missionary's kid. And lay hands on them and pray for them. May that not be awkward or foreign or out of the Norman Fellowship Baptist Church. Because, because what will move the heart of God? 
to put more and more and more power and force behind a missionary's message is not money. It's not even generosity. It's people all around the world praying. And here's the thing, and I'm done. The bigger the game, the heavier the drawaway. And the need has never been greater for missionaries to go and preach the gospel than it is today. Our world needs more of Jesus than ever. The game is huge. We've got to have everybody with their hands on their bow, drawing back the best they can in their prayer closets, praying, exerting energy and time. It might mean you have to get up a little earlier or stay up a little late or discipline yourself to pray with your wife before you go to bed. Whatever it'll take, we need more of God's people taking 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 through 3 seriously. This is our responsibility on the missionary's behalf. Your only responsibility is not just writing an offering envelope under the missionary category, the faith promise category. That's not your only obligation. You don't just get to fulfill your commitment and then check out and go on tunnel vision with your life and your ministry and your prayer request and your Bible class and you, your children's church team and your bus route. We've got to do work here. We've got to give so they can go. But we've got to pray so God will take the word of God and transform lives. And that's where I think our church can improve. We've given well over $250,000 a year for a lot of years. Giving's not the problem. Being generous to wives that come and we surprise them with that offering, not the problem. We support 73 total missionary works and missionaries around the world. It's not the problem. The problem is we don't pray. That's the problem. The problem is our corporate calls to prayer generally in our Bible classes and in this auditorium have to do with us and not the gospel around the world. We are in our own batter's box. And all we see is three tin West pancakes sometimes. And we forgot that there are struggling church planners that didn't have a choir and didn't have a piano player. In fact, I watched a service live on Facebook today of one of our church planners in Pittsburgh, Kansas, Brother Corey Easton. And he was leading songs to the best of his ability. He didn't have a song leader and he didn't have a piano player. We have four or five instruments up here. We have a 60-voice choir. We got an amazing sound system. We got lights. We've got comfortable chairs. And Brother Corey has to awkwardly lead this congregation of new believers and some lost people. In the, in the, in, in the hymn, he lives a cappella. And so we can get so content in our little batter's box. It's just us in the picture. And there are 30,000 plus around us that need Jesus. Yeah. You understand that at one time this church didn't have a choir either. And it didn't have a children's ministry either. And it didn't have a nice soundboard. It didn't have a nice light panel. It didn't always have a 70,000 square foot building. But we've grown so far from that 
that maybe we forgot what it feels like. And God help us, God help us to exert energy by way of compound prayer. Everybody should have received a handout tonight. It's how we're going to conduct our invitation. If you didn't, you can get one on the way out. I don't want to pass any more out because I want us to stay focused. If you didn't, look on with somebody. Actually, you know what? Let's, let's do that. Hand them out, Brother Rick. If, if, if you're a teenager and above, raise your hand. That wouldn't be fair of me to not hand those out. I want everyone in the congregation, teenager above, especially members of our church, others can grab them too. I want you to look at this. This is appreciative of our very, very, very pretty missionary secretary, our secretary of missions, Jenny Lee Prater, my wife. She has put together a full list of the 73 missionaries and mission projects and works that we support both in our country, in our state, and around the world. Here's what we're going to do tonight. I want you to pray uh, for a certain block of these by name. And here's how we're dividing it up. If your last name starts with A, B, C, or D, then I want you to pray for numbers 1 through 12. Okay? And so on. E through H, 13 through 25. I through L, you get the idea. Look at that chart, then look at this chart, and know which ones you're going to pray for. Miss Virginia's going to be playing the piano in a moment. Parents, I want you to grab your kids, and I want you to bring them to the altar with you. I want, I want them to hear you praying for these missionaries by name. Okay? I'm okay if there's noise. It's okay. I know kids aren't prepared to behave at the altar. I, I'm over that. Let's teach them. If you're a single, go grab another single or come down by yourself. If you're not physically capable or perhaps not comfortable coming to an altar tonight, you can make an altar out of your own seat. But know which ones you're praying for, and then we're going we're gonna to actually pray for them. Most of you will have about 12 or so. You actually mention their name. And after you've mentioned each one of their names, then you pray for specifically for the things that we preached about. God, help the gospel message to be successful by way of having free course, by way of being glorified, receive well. And give each one of these gospel messengers safety. That safety doesn't just include freedom from persecution, it also includes good health. Traveling mercies as they're going from community to community. Some of these missionaries are traveling and getting support. They need safety on the road, they need good health, their kids need good health. And so what we're going to do is we're all going to pick up a bow. We're all going to pick up an arrow, and we're going to exert some energy in prayer. And we're going to watch how God takes our compound prayer in just a few minutes tonight. And we'll, we might have no idea until we get to heaven what he does because we did this. And I think God's leading us to make this a more regular part of our church services. Where we pull this out maybe once a quarter, and we pray for these missionary names once a quarter. And we, by faith, do better at exerting more energy into prayer. If you agree with the Bible tonight, we just say amen out loud. Miss Virginia, you play. If you're comfortable, you're capable. You come to the altar with your family, with your spouse. You make an altar out of your own seat. That'll be fine, too. But let's go to, let's go to the throne of God.